Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Thanks for thanking of me, Matt. Here today to talk to you about our impressions of Captain America Civil War, which are brought to you by Ant-Man's Orange Slices. We pack a lot of flavor into a little thing. When we catch you up on what went down, Prologue 1991. Longing, Rusted, 17, Daybreak, Furnace, 9, Benign, Homecoming, 1, Freight Car. Indeed, it's it's a it's a mysterious and evocative opening there it it seems that this 1991 story and and what we quickly understand to be the uh the way in which they they reprogram the winter soldier after uh after taking him off the ice uh that much is clear but but the particulars i like that it's it it it, it sticks out as as uh I don't know, not fitting into the story that follows, uh, but I like that because it's obviously setting up something for later on. To get him on this mission before our Marvel card, to jump right into it, you weren't even quite sure you were watching the movie just yet. Um, it let's it be its own thing right away. And the Russos were very, very smart to shoot it the way that they did to indicate uh, a difference in terms of time. There's, there's a, a muddiness to the quality when you watch it. And you just know, given the, the Cadillac there, given, you know, Bucky on the motorcycle, that it's going to be something we come back to. Yeah, the the visual presentation here is nice. That uh, that slight muddiness, as you said, that the use of uh, digital color timing to kind of make it look a bit aged, and uh, I I I felt it was it was certainly an abrupt transition to the present day. Again, in retrospect, for obvious reasons. Flip side is it's a daring move, I think, to start with um, you know start with a character we haven't seen since the last Captain America movie, which. You know, fine. If you're watching the Captain America trilogy, it makes sense. But there have been obviously the other movies in between. To start with that kind of fragment and then suddenly leave it is uh, certainly places faith in the audience that I think I think lesser directors and lesser uh, attempts would would not have that faith. To catch up with the current iteration of the Avengers in Lagos, Nigeria, here we knew obviously we would get back with. Uh, some of our uh, villains from previous stories here, uh, Crossbones, Brock Rumlow. Yeah, it's it, it's great to see him here. I love the whole outfit that he has. I know at first it's obscured by the gas mask and whatnot, but when we get to his uh, his helmet, and then he has these uh, these. Um, kind of uh enhanced uh punchy arm things mechanical mechanical <laughs> enhancements to his arms uh that too is really visually exciting my only complaint is i don't like it when they end a movie with oh man to be villain next time and then that's the villain for the first act and the first act alone um it's it they did that in age of ultron as well to me, I would like to see a little bit more crossbones other than our, our 
our act one, you know, post prologue scene one baddie. Well, I mean, I don't think he's heavy enough to carry a film, uh, particularly this loaded. Uh, it's a minor complaint, I would suppose. But to to see them all on this adventure here, the the misdirection of the uh, the virus at this uh, you know CDC esque type of um, location and where it all goes south in terms of uh, Steve losing his focus and uh, suddenly Wanda Maximoff is somebody that is in the crosshairs of the world. What this whole portion of the story is very effective at is letting us see the uh, see the Avengers as presently uh, formed, or at least the Avengers on this particular mission. It's a great opportunity to remind everybody who has what powers, who's on what side. Um, the degree of uh, of powers that Wanda has it struck me as we were watching this as like oh are we going to have the the kryptonite problem do we need to do something to kind of uh to kind of mute her powers because couldn't she just end end every fight with uh you know a shield around herself and knocking everybody down uh kudos to the script that they they use that to their advantage by by Tony wanting to kind of keep her on the sidelines uh back at HQ later on in the story but nonetheless, there's this fallout. You know, a number of people are killed. We trace them back to Wakanda that has come out of the shadows, this isolated fictional African country um, after the Sokovia disaster. And suddenly we are faced with these Sokovia Accords. And I want to just say one thing about these Sokovia Accords, Matt, and and much has been made that I am Team Cap and you are Team Iron Man. Uh, but let me just say that you can trace back every problem in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to Tony Stark. Uh, okay, go on. How? Okay. Well, let's start with kicking off this cinematic universe. He's got to get some of the blame for that as well as some of the credit. Uh, then we talk about uh, New York, which is the first place that uh, General Ross, Secretary of State Ross, chooses to throw in their faces. Of course, it's his technology that rips open the hole in uh, space that allows the Chitauri and uh, Loki's soldiers there to come through. Then we go to Washington, D.C., Matt, where the helicarriers powered by new Stark technology are ripping uh, the city apart and then ultimately crash. Then we go to Sokovia, where again – his technology, Ultron, the uh, hover repulsor unit within the flying uh, terrible sword that was the city there that was meant to crash into the planet. Again, all his doing. This is all the more reason why the presence and the large presence of Tony in this story is so important. Uh, I had read over the weekend uh, an article that 
that suggested, and I think it was a little shaky on some of the details, but basically suggested that they wanted uh, they wanted Tony Stark basically for an extended cameo in this uh, when Marvel Films was still part of the Marvel corporate structure, in part because the the uh, president of Marvel, the <laughs> truly mysterious, truly never photographed, truly rarely seen in public, <laughs> all true, not a bit. Uh, Ike Perlmutter basically said, <laughs> of course you've seen him, Pete. Um, but he basically said, we're not paying Downey, Downey money to be in another, uh, another movie if we don't have to. Um, what I read was after Marvel films was taken out of the rest of Marvel and made its own independent division in, in, in Disney. That's when the money suddenly showed up uh, to, to pay Downey. I could not imagine this story without without Tony Stark to the degree that he is in it for those very reasons, Pete, because he would be the first person to say enough is enough uh, after this bombing in, in Lagos, which by the way, daring, perhaps obvious, but daring to commit to the following things as the, the inciting, uh, the, the inciting issue to lead to the Accords suicide bomber blowing up the side of a building oklahoma city style and then the papers falling down from the sky world trade center style they went for it and and i think i mean again if you sit and go how how are we going to communicate to the audience you know this is a bad thing we'll make it look like real life bad things but there surely must have been someone in the room who said guys do we really want to do the oklahoma city side of the building and the papers falling like the world world trade center our listeners will, of course, note that because Matt did not even attempt to defend Tony Stark, that I am right. Uh, but yeah, Matt, I, I definitely caught a motif here of bombed out buildings in this particular uh, film between this and later what happens uh, in Vienna. So with that, the story moves to the the introduction of the Sokovia Accords to the Avengers. And again, what, what may be an obvious move is nonetheless one that is a bit daring to make it so clear that this has been adopted by over 100 countries, the United Nations, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that there's this clear message from the world community, not the good guy countries or the bad guy countries or the this or side or the that side, that everybody has come together to say these powered individuals as as secretary ross says u.s based ignoring borders missions not sanctioned by any government that's when kind of as an audience member pete you say wait this is kind of this would not fit in the real world their behaviors i know that the goal for the russo brothers was to make a film once you had um you know, Downey Jr. on board and you could play his side up in a far bigger light than had they been limited to a cameo. Create a movie that you could leave and continue the argument of who was right. To have them here and to lay this out and it's almost immediately apparent you know, who's for it and who's not. The only thing I found myself wishing for is if they had held back somehow who's on which team so that we could have kind of followed 
all right, you know, Vision's going to say he's with Stark, but of course, you know, he, he was Jarvis and he's, he's got the loyalty there. Okay. Uh, the, the surprise that black widow goes with Stark that they agree and, and playing that up there. Um, you know, again, not a, not a gripe, but I, I just think it would have added to some of the drama. This is, as was pointed out by you before we went to see the movie, this is the longest Marvel movie yet. And in the scene that we're going to be discussing shortly, uh, I'll argue that I think that to get it to the time that they had, they needed to make some editing decisions. Uh, I bet really early on, Pete, they threw out the window any any idea of much vacillation character by character, just recognizing that this movie has to come in at, at roughly the two hour, 30 minute mark, anything longer. It's just not going to not going to sit well with the audience, not going to sit well with with what we expect out of the theater experience. And it's a shame, uh, particularly since we're so steeped with Marvel television that can slow down and, and really explore these things. But it is what it is. That's why it was an action packed two and a half hours and not a kind of a, a reflective three hour you know, three and a quarter hour, uh, uh, missive on, on choosing sides. <laughs> not a, a, not a tortured two and a half hour slog where every fight takes place in the dark and rain <laughs> and dark rain and dark rain. Um, Matt, what, what happens next breaking up their, uh, you know, heavy discussion over, this this governance about to be imposed on them is uh heartbreaking it is I, I i like that they go to the trouble to have everyone in one room and then they further go to the trouble to have tony stark there in the background probably because he's already done the math he's already had the discussion with himself pete that you you thrust upon the audience in terms of his culpability and his guilt and he's the first one to recognize they do need to be reined in because, because the deaths that occur count. It's something that we see repeated time and time again in big ways and in little ways. Unlike, say, the Distinguished Competition movies where, ah, it's just 10,000 people. It'll make for a great flashback in the next movie. <laughs> All these deaths mean something to him and obviously to everyone, but he's the one who's taking it. Uh, most most seriously in part because he's been at the forefront of them and this text message that steve rogers gets here uh that she has died in her sleep we come to find out of course it is peggy carter and matt maybe it's portentous of what's to come maybe it just lines up that way but uh we're what a week away from finding out whether agent Carter will remain a viable TV show. And, uh, this really jabbed you. Yeah. It's probably the latest that we would, uh, know would be, would be Tuesday, May 17th, probably over the weekend or, or Monday at the latest is when the, the, the particulars involved will get notified. And it was with all of that in mind that this, that this funeral uh, unfolds. Uh, if I have one gripe with the film, it's that we couldn't spend more time at the funeral. And I say couldn't because I understand there's, there's other story to get to. And I also don't know 
if the fan that watches the movies but hasn't watched the show, if if for them it was as powerful as it was those of us who have watched the show and are watching, knowing that this this might be the final the final bit of Peggy's story, her own funeral. Um, but but for the time that they could devote to it, certainly a powerful moment. You know, having podcast two seasons of that show and seen her show up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a couple times, and it, it's no more apparent Steve's journey in his trilogy here with her involvement and, and how critical that was. Matt, she's she's essentially his Obi-Wan Kenobi. I guess that's one way to put it. Another is through the funeral scene and then the the post-funeral scene where he's talking with Sharon Carter, the the brief, the, nay, the single visit that we saw him give her in, in her old age. Uh, I like that though they didn't show more of those, they kind of pick up the echo of that one scene to suggest that it was, it, 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 it was a fairly frequent thing. And uh, the notion of what did she know Versus what didn't she know in, in terms of, you know, Sharon Carter being placed to watch uh, Cap and all of that. It suggests this ongoing um, relationship that 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 uh, Steve and Peggy had once he returned, even though we just saw it the once or if you include her funeral, the twice. Uh, to Vienna, we go where they're about to sign these accords. And of course, uh, Steve is keeping out of that but we get the introduction of uh the king of wakanda t'chaka and his son t'challa who will eventually of course take up the mantle matt the black panther now i heard speculation uh again it was it this wasn't like from you know the hollywood reporter i don't remember the source or i would i would mention it but i heard speculation that when they couldn't get spider-man they put more black panther in then they got spider-man and they couldn't get rid of more black panther all i know is this if you sit someone down in front of this movie obviously they need to have seen some of the previous marvel movies that's just a given but if, if, if you're the casual marvel movie fan who goes and sees everyone uh but doesn't know hollywood headlines this presence here of t'challa and the way reveal reveal it's a new hero who then has to quickly choose a side and has his own motivations it worked so wonderfully well the fact that it also is doing story service to set things up it, uh, yes you know that if you know what's coming but it, it it had the it had the purity of nick fury coming out at the end of the first iron man movie not the Iron Man 2, well, I'd love to stay here, but I got to go to the Southwest because there's another movie going on. <laughs> this just worked. And Chadwick Boseman here, just wonderful in the role. Um, doesn't oversell it, doesn't undersell it. Obviously, with the tragedy that takes place and the loss of his father, has to jump into the conflict. And what better way to kind of rocket off that uh hunt for um the winter soldier yeah it it uh it only occurred to me after the explosion was when, when i when i knew the explosion was about to happen in part because i had seen you know a, a couple bits and pieces of of the preview stuff plus you know dogs barking at thing music tension tension you know there's a bomb about to explode that's when i was like 
oh no, dad, you shouldn't have told your son that you loved him from the bottom of your heart and he would always make you proud. Like, don't you know, dad, that's what you say before you exit the story. Um, another way to put that is there's precious little time that dad has to to give his son this, the total seal of approval. Um, but those actors make it work given the little time that they have. And then, you know, suddenly we're now, we're now propelled into this chase scene. Bucky is, uh, of course, photographed. We later find out that that was faked, but we locate him in Bucharest here and uh, Steve getting a scene with him to try to uh, to bring him in. And then this really great uh, action sequence that occurs in a stairwell was uh, – you know, before a little bit of a lull, I think uh, a, a bright point. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I mean, it was some great, you know, jumping, running, gunning, hanging, swinging, all of that. Um, <laughs> this is a movie that does not lack from action, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, this is action adventure type stuff. But uh, it, it certainly propelled things forward after the the brief but heartfelt you know, Bucky kind of pathos and, and it's not me. And, you know, I, I don't want to kill anyone and all of that. This script is a Marvel, no pun intended. Wow. That wasn't even intentional. Sorry. That probably comes off as cheesy. This script is, a, it does an amazing job at doing all the dramatic things it has to do to also link you up to fun fight after fun fight and great action set piece. And, you know, wow. Special effects moment. It, it still is able to hit the character stuff. So, so deftly. What really kind of breaks up a, a little bit of, like I said, a lull for me in the middle of the movie is more set up, but, but comes across as so genuine and so light. And that's when Tony goes to Queens and recruits Peter Parker. And again, this is one of these things where it, you knew it was coming if you had seen a preview, if you had read uh, read any anything involving spider-man or marvel uh or sony uh since let's not forget the genesis of all of this the the the, the hacking uh, itself a terrorist attack uh that, that sony suffered uh was a weird sort of genesis that i like to think pete brought us all together this weekend <laughs> be, because bad people did a bad thing yeah just over computers but there was you know there was personal stuff really personal stuff released from that hack you know uh cancer treatments and maternity leave details and sick newborn stuff i mean just stuff that doesn't need to be out there all that badness what did that lead to we all got to see spider-man with the avengers this weekend <laughs> like good we all had smiles on our faces and it starts with this great introduction of peter parker from behind the music doesn't oversell it the the tone doesn't oversell it but the visuals it's just this moment of we need to we need to decompress into the reality that Peter Parker is now walking into into Aunt May's apartment. Thanks, North Korea. Matt, is it possible? Let's 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 just ponder for a second. Is it possible that Kim Jong Un just really wanted Spider Man back home? Well, Pete, if we've learned anything from this movie and the other Marvel movies, you know, it's the interconnectedness of things. You know, had had Tony Stark not 
you know, uh, uh, been been so busy, and and he'd been able to go with Colson to to New Mexico and talk to Doctor Selvig. That maybe Doctor Selvig wouldn't have been zapped with the thing to make the portal and the Avengers. Maybe Pete. Maybe he's just sitting there going. Maybe he is the lovable buffoon that that we see in um in uh, the movie. With the hacking. <laughs> the interview. The interview, right, because it's about an interview. But maybe it is. Thanks, Kim. I don't know how you can watch this movie. And as somebody who saw all the Tobey Maguire movies, who tried to watch each of the Garfield Spider-Man movies, not be super excited and happy with what Tom Holland has done with this character. This is high school, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, awkward in his own young way. And we're going to get another movie in a year, Matt, in a little bit more than a year. And we're going to get Robert Downey Jr. in that as well. The... The degree of integration into the Marvel Cinematic Universe that that Spider-Man receives here astonished me. And that was even with the knowledge of Downey's going to be in the movie. So it looks like maybe as opposed to Sony lending out the character in exchange for, you know, it gets to be in this. And then that, that gets some MCU shine and they get to go do their own thing with maybe listening to Kevin Feige. The fact that they have rewritten a, a a portion of the spider-man genesis in that presumably all the original stuff is still there presumably it's a, it's the, the the spider uh we're now back to he's created the web shooters as opposed to it being a genetic uh modification which i have no problem with in the mcguire movies but we've gone further back to that um the fact that he has the goofy costume then <laughs> gets the nice costume which i have no problem that the toby Maguire movies just said <laughs> and the suit you expect right. that's all in place but now that he is tony stark sponsored now that the new suit uh has has these you know has the the, the eyes that move that, that and, and there's a story reason behind that um you can't un-Tony Stark Spider-Man for whatever the future holds for this character on film. Well, again, given that it all started with Stark, I find it incredibly fitting that he would be the one to be tapped to bring Spider-Man in. Lest we forget that uh, Spider-Man flips in the comic Civil War storyline. And I think there were a lot of people thinking that that could be an issue with this story. Kind of glad they didn't um, to make it its own thing, much like it is uh, in terms of what they're fighting over with the superhero registration act. But you it know, would have been this... a, it would have been inappropriate to give him that much story, given the fact that it's fun and neat and great that Tony recruits a new guy to, to compliment the, the, pro uh sokovia side that's enough if you then had more spider-man and oh what should i do the character hasn't earned that in this movie in the comics he has because he's been around for forever and he's probably just about everybody's favorite and you know all of that um he, he should figure out later on that tony stark is a jerk that's what they can do in the next movie <laughs> they don't need to do that here they need to after a big 
fight maybe in the middle of the movie pair back a whole bunch of the people to return to the the story of of bucky and steve and tony completely, but i digress completely agree but to make tony stark kind of this surrogate uncle particularly with the tension that gets brought up with aunt may repeatedly being you know told how young she is it it's great and it really works and i think the hallmark of the 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 big additions of black panther and spider-man and even matt ant-man and we're going to talk about in his inclusion in this airport battle next that you be left wanting more absolutely and and i mean that's what this movie does does so wonderfully it just it provides this large universe for you but but still services the story at its core so we get the big conflict we're all waiting for five on each side at least initially however we knew that spider-man would be on stark's side and that ant-man Scott Lang would be on Captain America's side. The introduction there with the requisite humor and everything like that. But the way that they have these two characters break out in this fight, Spider-Man with his appearance, he's completely raw for all these new characters to kind of figure him out and Ant-Man to suddenly employ the giant man abilities this is a reminder that movies like this with superheroes that are over heavy topics can be fun and you can have a 17 minute action sequence here that is light that still has uh, consequence but really totally watchable yeah it's fun as you have said before pete at the end of the day these movies are about taking your action figures and and going out to the sandbox and having them fight and and, and to have the story reasons to do that. But wait, do you end your fights between, you know, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo in the sandbox with wait, you had a mother, I had a mother, let's stop beating the crap out of one another. Well, and, and that's just it is the fight that they have at the airport is everybody in there has has a reason for the fight that they've chosen whichever side they're on um the characters which are the funniest ant-man and spider-man are able to be funny they're able to bring humor into the action figures fight each other in the sandbox moment while the more serious characters who do have blood on their hands uh who do have guilt who have caused death they get to have the more serious fight, but we, the audience, at the end of the day, can sit and go, you know what, this this is not a one-for-one -one analogy. This isn't, you know, this isn't a historical drama. This isn't, you know, uh, telling telling awful tales uh, from World War II. We can have some fun and have it serious at the same time. Um, we get that. I was, I was amazed, particularly, at... Uh, they must have been walking through through the the airport location, looking at the rafters and saying, "This is perfect for Spider-Man," um, and, and just his effervescence, and then the giant man stuff with uh, with uh, with Ant-Man is just just a visual delight. 
I knew it was coming, but it was the type of thing that even though I knew that when he goes to do it and bringing that humor again into this six on six tilt of all these characters we know and, and care about uh, and, and even the two new ones in, in black Panther and in Spider-Man we're we're invested in already. The one is trying to avenge his father. The other guy is new is super young and he's got abilities that are wowing these uh, other characters. And Matt, one of the moments of the film with Ant-Man turning into giant man and then Spider-Man going to uh, trip him up there, referencing the empire strikes back (laughs) and talking about how it's really old and just the, the banter and the, the lightness and the fun. That's what you want. Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the screenwriters here, they, they get it and they give us, the emotional, they give us the humor, they give us the weight. Really, Matt, they gave it all to us. And it, it doesn't need to be so super serious and, and dark, despite the fact of where this story goes. And here we are at the halfway point of the movie, the big the big action set piece halfway through, the, the Civil War moment. Worth pointing out right now, yes, later in the story, it's revealed that Zemo has been you know, tugging at strings to to get us to this point. So he's kind of been the villain that we haven't seen. This is by and large a story that is without a villain. Yeah, Zemo does some of those things to propel the story forward. But at the end of the day, it's hero versus hero, which is an incredibly daring move to make that you don't have the Red Skull who says, I'm the Nazi guy and I have a red skull and I can shoot laser beams. I am the clear villain. That the villain is the side that you're not rooting for, but they're all heroes that you believe in. That is astonishing, particularly since it, you know, they only have two and a half hours to do the thing. I think it's something that could only have been attempted after these 12 movies. And here you're in the 13th. You've got such a backstory on so many of these characters such a cultural, uh, you know, footprint of the newer ones that we're getting, particularly with Spider-Man and boom, do this, end it with a a critical injury to a character who's been around for a while, albeit uh, not the same actor playing the character who was originated, but we, we buy it. Yeah. And, and it's nice to see that, there, there is that price paid. I mean, heck, it's not just it's not just uh, Iron Patriot who is is physically hurt. We have some of our heroes who are now uh, captured. You know, they're they're on the wrong side of the law. They've been captured. We get uh, Steve and Bucky officially, uh, you know, on the run to their next part of the story, and we, we see consequences. And on the topic of consequences, Pete, we see that uh, the the people who I who I dare say we are supposed to be nominally rooting for, uh, aside from Cap and Bucky, they're now shipped off to to the Raft Prison. Yeah, this is a really big idea from the comics. The uh, the number of villains and and now we see heroes who have spent time in this uh, floating prison. It, it's pretty legendary and 
to incorporate it, not as a, a shoe in or as a throwaway reference, but to incorporate it in this gigantic tableau that we have here uh, makes it all the more memorable. The the actors help sell it too. The 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 uh, the imprisoned actors again with with limited time they just kind of sell the 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 boring awfulness of this prison. This isn't the milling around in the common area that we saw in the the, the prison Guardians of the Galaxy where you know, at least there's socialization. They're just there sitting doing nothing. It just it it it, it looks so awful. Um, even though they're you know they're not showing torture or they're not showing you know anything of this sort, it um, it really sells the the awfulness of the experience. And it's here that we can have reversal by uh, Tony Stark that he's seen footage and and knows that um, Zemo has been behind this that they were positioned in a situation where they would. Uh, you know, come at odds with one another, heads to Siberia. We have uh, Cap and Bucky there. We know this is coming to the the final, final showdown between the two of them, yet it, it's kind of up in the air as to how that might come about. Yeah, the, the reveal that uh, it was the Winter Soldier who killed uh, Tony's parents uh, and and the showing of it, I mean, it's almost worse as he's you know smacking Howard Stark's head and 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 killing him, and then the throat, uh, the hand on on Mom's throat, and all of that uh, only adds to the awfulness of it. I wasn't crazy about that being then the device that leads to the ultimate showdown. Um, I I wasn't crazy about it as a choice. Your thoughts, Pete? Well, I think, and it's referenced ever so briefly amidst the emotion of it, the idea that Bucky is not in control of his faculties when that happens, yet he remembers all of these. And that Steve knew, that's the one thing I'd, I'd like to know. How did Steve know that he had done this and not communicated that to, to Tony Stark? Ultimately, it's probably just some writerly flourish. I mean, I think that you could say Steve being so well-placed in uh, what was S.H.I.E.L.D., then whatever his place was within uh, the government, he's been around, he's been back since uh, probably 2011, if we go by, you know, that's when the first Captain America movie was. So he's been back here five years. I'll buy that. He has enough access to have gotten that information and, and has made the decision. The fact that it's all kind of behind the scenes and writerly reveal, again, not crazy about it. But if that's the weakest point in the movie, this this reveal here that leads to a personal battle for personal reasons, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And you, you get the critical the iconic imagery there, you know, it's, it's cap and Iron Man going at it, the shield in between, you know, we had seen so much of the, the Bucky, uh, cap team up there on, on Iron Man with the, uh, the shield and everything like that. But to intercut their battle with Zemo and, uh, Black Panther, 
Zemo ready apparently to commit suicide. And, and I love the line there from from Black Panther that the, the living aren't done with you yet. But, you know, you cut back and you get that slow motion shot of the, the shield up in front of Cap and the, the Iron Man repulsors there firing away. And it's just, it, it it's like it was sold to me you want the fight to end because you care so much about these characters. And the, the final flourish there with Zemo, um, that, that, you know, he has a date in court, the living are not done with you. It's a nice reminder that he has been propelled to do all this. I mean, this is what the, the big reveals in that scene that, that, that he lost family in Sokovia. So though he is the villain in our story, uh, though he he's revealed as no one could no one could kill them, so I would have them kill each other, uh, and, and we don't like that because we pay to see these movies and they're they're in bright shiny colors and they make us laugh and cheer, so we don't want them to die. Despite all of that, you kind of can step back and say, wait, Zemo is trying to achieve through violence what the Accords are trying to legislate, which is to stop the Avengers from doing whatever they want, wherever they want. You can disagree with the particulars of how Zemo has done that, and certainly he has killed people along the way to make it happen. But, you know, it's like, do we drop the atomic bomb or not? That's where Zemo's head is. He's obviously the villain in the story, wrong side of Marvel history, etc., etc. But he's just trying to achieve what the rest of the world wants, which is to stop these people. So we come towards tying everything up at the end. You get the letter that uh, Steve sends to Tony. Obviously, he's still in play protecting Bucky without his shield. We'll have to see how long uh, that could last. But we get this epilogue in Wakanda, of all places, this isolated nation, which we're going to see a lot more of in coming films. Uh, particularly the Black Panther standalone movie in a couple movies, Matt. I mean, geez, we we only have three next year. Uh, Life to, is tough. I know, right? You know, between Doctor Strange in November and then we've got uh, Guardians next May, uh, Spider-Man that July, and then Thor Ragnarok in November. You know, we're... we're we're that many movies away from from seeing Black Panther get his his own film in this universe, and it it it's something we'll need to talk about in our theory segment. What does this mean for the way things were left? But to have him, uh, you know, take in the people that he was trying to hunt down, I think certainly shows that arc that we want in characters. And uh, to, to give us some scope in terms of their technology, what they're able to do and putting Bucky back under and, uh, you know, how they make gigantic panther statues. It was, I thought, really uh, amusing and convenient uh, story moment that like, oh, gee whiz, I don't know what to do with Bucky for like the next, you know, these, these upcoming Avenger movies like 
are we going to have him appear in Doctor Strange? No. Are we going to Thor? No, that's like another planet or something. Is he going to be in Avengers Part 1? Uh, uh, let's freeze him. Like, I just, I like that as a writerly solution to sit and go, we'll deal with this character later. For right now, we're not dealing with Bucky at all in in for the rest of 2016 and all of 2017. So let's just hit pause there because we have a character who can be paused and we get that little taste where, again, even if you don't know what the what the entertainment news headlines are, to sit and go, oh man, Black Panther, it's it's a fun moment. It's It reminds us that these movies can be fun. And I come back to my thoughts as I was watching it. So here's the bookend of a trilogy. The rare trilogy, Matt, that I think has a strong third act there, there's so many that are reviled for finishing weekly and look at the character's journey of, of Bucky from, you know, early on with Steve in Brooklyn to Wakanda here and still conceivably in play. If it never continues, it's satisfying, but this is Marvel. We, we know this thread won't be dangled and, and not uh, come back to. And then, Pete, with that, the people who were sitting near us got up and said, excuse me, excuse me. And uh, we, we both stood at our seats and said, you know, absolutely. And then the, the, the lady stopped and said, wait, is there more? And I said, yes, there's more. And then your response, Pete, was what? A hundred percent. So that's when she called her boyfriend who, had, who was now in the aisle. And she's like, come back. There's more. There's more. So spoiler, Pete, using the spoiler powers for good. Uh, an absolutely effervescent scene uh, with Peter Parker in his bedroom. Uh, we see him. He has he has the thing. And I, what is the thing? It's not immediately revealed. Having been rereading the old Amazing Spider-Mans from, I'm up to issue number nine now, the light is a goofy affect. It's a belt. It's on his belt in the comics. I don't know for how long that continued. Uh, clearly, it doesn't make its way into the the, the movies and all of that. But I immediately was like, they've done the light. They somehow have done the light. Um, and then the reveal that it's kind of got this Stark Tech influence was fantastic. Yeah. And again, you tantalize that. Let, let's just let that sit for, for 14 months. And they're getting ready to make that movie and, you know, get it, get it to us now. And to end with Spider-Man Will Return, that was when the true integration between Sony and Marvel. I mean, I think that's what that statement was meant to say. Spider-Man is here to stay, to be used in the larger movies, if and when that makes sense, to all involved, most of all the story. But this can now be a partnership, and the, this can be ongoing. And you have a guy in Tom Holland who at 19, 10 years from now, Pete, he will be 29, the age that Chris Evans was when he first played Captain America. You can do a decade with this guy, no problem. Heck, you could do two decades with this guy, and he'll be 39, enough to have, you know, Spider-Man, Iron Spider suit, or, you know, enough to take the character through different uh, iterations. This is a guy who's here to stay. This is a, a, a vision of Spider-Man that's here to stay. And this is a Spider-Man in the MCU that is here to stay. That, that was all said in Spider-Man Will Return. And you really have to be jaded to not 
like this character. I know there's ideas that are out there about how he appears in the story. And obviously they were very deep into the writing and pre-production process when they were given, granted the rights back to put this character in. But considering all the moving parts that this movie had and to integrate him and to give him the, the hallowed post credit scene here and the and the James Bondification of, yeah, he'll be back, which for a lot of people is is still not something they knew. It it fully announces how far they're going for it. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We begin, Matt, Brock Lumlow, Crossbones. Perfect character made only imperfect by his his shorter time on screen. Um, I wish, Pete, that more movies did the Lord of the Rings extended edition thing where we could get the, the three and a half hour cut of this movie, the three hour cut. Um, who knows, Pete? Maybe Batman v Superman R-rated version. We're going to watch that and be like, masterpiece. But... For what we get here, we get Crossbones, uh, a distilled, powerful, uh, as I said before, I like the enhancements on the suit. Uh, we get kind of the the ending of that character story, albeit just in the one scene, and a really, really fun presence to kick things off. And you get the guy back. The whole idea, you, you drop the building on my face. Now he's got, you know, kind of a, a super suit of his own. That obviously with the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know, the the hits that Hydra has has taken is off doing things on his own. It works and it's just the foil that they need early on in the film for the, the plot that goes wrong. You mentioned James, James Bond there at the end. I mean, if this is meant to be a sort of James Bond pre-title scene thing, although side note, I... I I'm not crazy about movies that save the title card to the very end, um, but I digress. If, if this is meant to be after your prologue, you're kind of your James Bond pre-credit scene, then he's a great baddie for that for that mini story there to wrap up wrap up a story from from the last one and to propel us forward. Next on the list, Pete, we get pardon me, Secretary of State Ross. Yeah, and William Hurt not around since movie two (laughs) now in movie 13 it's exactly what you want to reach for when you need to that you can that it's there to bring him in you know far more than a cameo he's integral to the plot and uh you knew when they were going to do civil war that they had to have this this tipping point they again went in the different direction instead of identities it's over who reports to whom and why and to bring him in as this bureaucrat and i love the story he tells about you know having suffered the the heart attack while golfing and and giving him perspective and that that's the the point here he he's not a mustache twisting bad guy he's not a hundred percent of a good guy because he wants to incarcerate some of our uh, good guys. He, he just works. And again, you, you have an actor of that caliber in that role. It, it, it makes it instantly compelling. It's a natural progression for the character. You can fill in the blanks yourself. Here's somebody who has not only military credentials, but also 
uh, has had early involvements with these enhanced people as that has become a greater thing in their world in the last eight years. Uh, so his elevation to Secretary of State kind of just makes behind-the-scenes sense. You then add to it, yeah, he wants to put people in jail, but let's not forget, Pete, it's people who are flouting international law. Um, so he's not a villain either. He's just an oppositional force. The, again, the amazement here, after, after Crossbones blows up, you really don't have a villain. You just have people who are in opposition to the people we like the most. Uh, Secretary of State Ross is fully empowered to to punish these people. I mean, we don't know the particulars. Why is it an American prison and not a whatever? But that's neither here nor there. He's in, he's enforcing international law. Uh, Zemo is trying to to avenge the death of his family. Gee whiz, doesn't that sound like Peter Parker? Peter Parker tries to do that every day. It's just it's it, it it's how these characters choose to make their decisions that 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 makes them quote-unquote villains and when we get helmet zemo a sokovian uh special operations guy who's now positioned our avengers and our enhanced people into ripping each other apart because it's apparent humans can't do that to them um i know there was some disappointment myself included that it wasn't the the baron zemo that we we see in the comics but again, to come back to that point that this film is largely without a villain, they don't need the big heavy. You can have the cerebral, really, Matt, kind of a better Lex Luthor than Lex Luthor was type of villain. And a villain that you can sympathize with when you finally get that reveal at the end. I mean, he's a man ready to commit suicide because his attempt to make the world a safer place has failed. And he's seen his child, his wife, and his father all die at the hands of these people that we 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 cheered somewhat loudly in Age of Ultron. I mean, how do you not how do you not feel sympathetic for that? It's slightly uh, goofy the way his mind power is talked up early on, you know, a, a man who wants to do something, he just needs the time and he'll be able to do it and come to find out, Oh, it's been a year. And, and he got them to beat each other up. It was a little convenient, but where we're left with him, Matt, which we're going to address in our um, theory segment next, I think makes it a whole nother ball game. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. So let's start with Zemo. In the comics, a Baron right there with Red Skull. But Matt, I'm going to throw it out there. Zemo might be the first Skrull that we're aware of in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, give context to that statement. Well, these Skrull are... um, they're a little bit like the Kree, but a little bit more malevolent. They are uh, aliens who uh, come to Earth, and they don't involve themselves firsthand in uh, conflicts. They generate them from behind the scenes. And the way that we were left with Zemo and Everett Ross here, played by Martin Freeman. Oh, yeah, don't forget he was in this movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> Casting's ridiculous. Um, he, that 
Zemo is in the same type of container the Winter Soldier was in. This cannot be a red herring. This has to have some meaning. You wouldn't just put anybody in that. Yes, I understand he engineered a conflict between all of these superheroes. But, you know, I, I almost feel that perhaps it's sitting on a cutting room floor someplace that either he blinks funny and we can tell he's an alien, just the audience or whatever it is. Doesn't feel like his story is over. I like that. That is a complete possibility and maybe where things are, are headed. Um, but I, I, I like that it's self-contained enough that, that, that they didn't need the the little flourish to say something weird and wonderful and mysterious is happening, but you need to tune in next time to find out more. Um, I, I think maybe the audience tires of that a little bit. You want to have, and the adventure continues with a Black Panther statue. You don't want, all right, go home and do your homework because who was the purple guy who smiled at the end of Avengers 1? Let's all do our homework. Um what you're saying makes sense. I like that you can watch the movie without being concerned of any of that. I like that it works as a guy who devoted nothing but engineering this showdown made it happen. And that's enough for now. And then if you're going to go back and say, oh, actually, it was something else, too, that you have the the the, the flexibility to do that. You know, we've been really spoiled the last couple of years, particularly the last four, beginning with Avengers. So here where we're left at the end of the film with them fractured with Captain America breaking out Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch and Ant-Man and his best friend in Bucky and spiriting them to Wakanda where they're now hiding out. The question has to be asked, Matt, when will we see one or any of them again? Well, I I think that's a really good question. And, and they must have known what their production schedule would be as they were making this. Um, as mentioned before, you, you look at the you look at the next four Marvel movies. We have Doctor Strange in November clearly meant to act mostly standalone. I mean, it's a different flavor character. It's a different kind of uh, aesthetic feel. I don't think we're going to see Doctor Strange contributing much to uh, the Infinity War thing that's ahead of us. You know, Avengers and Infinity War, both of those storylines to come together into Avengers Infinity War parts one and two. Well, he'll be in it if if that's the question. There's but, no doubt. But I don't think that's the purpose of the Doctor Strange movie right. to, to contribute to that mythos. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, ditto. I mean, yeah, we may see in some sort of intergalactic thing involving the Infinity War them play a role. But the purpose of that movie is not to advance the the overall story forward. It's going to be their own thing, I would presume. Largely, ditto on Spider-Man Homecoming. You know, as cool as Sony has been, I'm sure they don't want to spend half the movie convincing people to go see a Marvel movie, you know, the following year, you know what I'm saying? So I think, I mean, Thor Ragnarok, gee whiz, Pete, we had enough mentions in this story of, boy, if only Thor and Hulk were here, where did Thor and Hulk go on their other adventure coming Uh to screens next year? (laughs) So that is set aside in and of itself. 
So next stop, we see these characters 2018 in Infinity War Part 1, I guess. It's hard to believe that one or a couple of them won't somehow, some way turn up, whether it's a secret scene, you know, Cap gets a new shield in Wakanda or or something like that. I, I think the idea of integrating them into the Black Panther movie is a bit much because let's let these character origin films, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and Black Panther be their own thing and and not, you know, give those characters short shrift by virtue of re-establishing a connection with these others. And okay, 2018, two years from now to think that we're going to get the first of a two-part movie of this massive Avengers uh, you know, set up with two movies in between. Uh, it, it's just hard to fathom at this point. <laughs> There's so much. It, it seems like we're accelerating here in phase three. Well, the good news is this with Black Panther and also the as of yet un, un, uh, pre-productionized, pre-produced uh, Captain Marvel movie, which we'll just we'll leave Captain Marvel to the side for the moment not because we don't care about female characters because there's there's not a director or a script a final script or a casting news but with the idea that we get infinity war part one then black panther i think that gives enough story space to say oh man now they've been sent to the planet xenon except for black panther who's going to be in a movie later this year like we get that space transmissions Open our mailbag, Matt. Let's check the wire. Pete, we got a message from Donna, a.k.a. Crescent Moon Cottage. Straight from the theater, the message was. She said, uh, oh my God, just got out of the theater. So hyped up. Uh, First of all, so many great previews. Suicide Squad, X-Men, Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Strange. Uh, And first of all, again, Spider-Man was so cute and funny and just perfect. Black Panther was so interesting. I don't know much about him and can't wait until his movie comes out. I forgot Ant-Man was going to be in this movie and he was a great addition. Of course, I cried at Peggy's funeral. Sniff, sniff. Absolutely loved this movie. I give it five stars. When Martin Freeman came on screen, I said Arthur Dent, just as Hannah, that's her daughter, said John Watson. We love him. So, okay, his last name was Ross. Any relation to the Ross family? Um, Oh, and was that Cree blood on the back of Howard Stark's car? Okay, I'm done fangirling, except Vision was just so yummy. Can't wait listening to your podcast of the movie. So, Pete, we'll start with the most important question of all. Pete, do you find Vision yummy? Totally yummy, especially in the uh, lounging about with the sweater and the collar (laughs) and everything there, which right off the page. um, And I, I think it's so important in comic movies to get those things that hardcore fans will acknowledge but regular fans will pick up on um donna is definitely in between a hardcore and a regular fan uh you know mentioning here she she didn't know much about black panther but you know she knows her her stuff otherwise can't uh say there's a connection from what we understand right now of the rosses but um uh ross uh 
Martin Freeman's Ross, that is Everett K. Ross. He is somebody who is very much in the orbit of Black Panther and Wakanda. So uh, there's not been a definitive casting announcement on Martin Freeman in that, but I would bet my bottom dollar you're going to see him and uh, Andy Serkis back there um, from Age of Ultron. Pete, will we get down the line before the end of the decade will we get everett k ross and dr strange on the screen together i think given those two actors association and their history together i can't see how you don't and i think marvel is really smart with their scheduling and and when they brought the press in to watch what would ultimately become this airport battle in this scene. You had characters that weren't there. You have giant man who gets added in post-production. So they're recording little segments and, and things like this, and you don't know what they're looking at. And to be able to add that in and to fly it under the radar when some of the other surprises were, were kind of out there, um, I would bet they're going to do everything they can to try to get uh, Khan and uh, the guy from Fargo together. <laughs> Pete, do we have anything else in the mailbag? We do, Matt. We have a message for uh, a package, I should say, for Tony Stank. Um, from the Twitter here, ZP International, that's at ZP International, writes in here, so why won't Tony Stank Maybe, and there's been a lot of them, Matt, maybe the greatest Stan Lee cameo yet, <laughs> at least in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, the, the Deadpool strip club one is is high up there. Um, but to, to have him here botch the name and, and everything. Uh, but ZPS, so why won't Tony Stank give the extremis to War Machine? Well, who's to say that he won't make the extremists to help War Machine. How about I that? Want, well, I wonder too, because that was so closely associated with the bad guys there. And geez, we're only talking, you know, three years ago, but but how many movies? Iron Man 3, uh, Thor 2, um, Captain America 2, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Ant-Man, Ultron, you, you're talking six movies ago. <laughs> I, I just wonder if, if it's not too far. I mean, we know that he will walk again. He pays the price in, in this conflict. There'll be great character work down the road. You know, they can confront one another. Oh, you, you took the use of my legs, you know, every, everything there. But, uh, I, I think to reach back for that and, and they've used it on shield too. They use it in the first season again, albeit two, two and a half years ago. Um, there might be too much to go back for. Definitely a, a fair point there. And also worth pointing out. Um, am I correct, Pete, in saying that in this movie, uh, only crossbones dies. I mean, we have the Starks, but they were already dead. They, they, they die via flashback. No one dies. No, you you have. I mean, of note. Well, okay, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I certainly don't mean to undersell Secretary of State Worker's son, who was building uh, 
economically or, or environmentally friendly Se- housing. That was in Sokovia in the in the previous movie, but you know you you've got the Wakandan aid workers. You've you've got a a bunch of other people. I, okay, count them on the bad side, but Matt, I can't believe we haven't even mentioned this group of winter soldiers that that gets taken out by uh zemo that you pretty much assumed he was going to weaponize on his own um you know there there is cost but you you don't have to kill the good guy and and then see soil levitate over his (laughs) coffin at the end of it to 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 have emotional resonance there is another way very true very very true Pete, as we start to wrap things up here, I just want to give a big thank you to everybody who's headed over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and uh, an extra big thumbs up to those who have uh, helped out with the, the costs associated with the uh, the bandwidth and the storage and the techity tech that makes the podcast go. We have such great fans and listeners here, and it just continually floors me that, that people would even check that stuff out, let alone donate. So thanks again and we're always looking to come up with more perks for you there so if there's something there you don't see that stirs you right now keep checking back absolutely and another place to keep checking back pete is your twitter feed you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 7674 followers can't be wrong and while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are a fantastic geek that is fantastic with the P and the H. Run to that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram, and the Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek. Again, one word with the PH like it today. Well, Pete, we'll be back soon talking more shield and uh, slowly revealing what's ahead. For our summer plans, also uh, certainly in the next week or so, uh, updating the Agent Carter feed as hopefully there's good news, although we should be be ready for the worst. But uh, the adventure always continuing. And with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Okay. Anybody on our side have any shocking or fantastic abilities they'd like to disclose right now? 